This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 331. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Jacob Paulson, sitting in the uh, bomb-proof uh, shelter. <laughs> yep, I'm here. <laughs> you know, there's always got to be something about, you know, where you're located, uh, you know. It's like you're trying to turn me into a mystery man, and I'm really not. <laughs> you're the guy that's always preaching, you know, home defense and preparedness and all that stuff. Sure, Yeah. But bomb-proof <laughs> underground shelters, as you tote, are a little bit more uh, difficult to come by than they sound. <laughs> well, hey, folks, welcome to today's episode. Uh, we're really excited because today's episode is actually, you know, I'm, I'm going to call it more of a roundtable uh, rather than an interview because we have a couple of guys here with us. Uh, we've got Gary Ramey from Honor Defense, and we have Jason Wilson from Lucid Optics, both, you know, well, in the case, I guess, in Lucid Optics, you've been around for about 10 years, but uh, Gary's company, you know, even newer than that, but both still relatively new companies in the, in the you know, grand scheme of things in this industry that, that, that we are in. And so we're really excited to talk with them. And Jacob, you and I, we, we've been doing, you know, this business of ours for, for just a few years as well. So we're really talking today about entre- entrepreneurship and the firearms slash training, you know, industry. And, uh, it's kind of hard to talk about it as an industry sometimes. I think of it as an industry, but you know, it's like, well, there's guns and there's optics and there's training. We're really on the training side of things. We sell a lot of product too, but really just getting into this industry where we get to play with guns and talk about guns and do things with guns, like it's really cool and it's really exciting. So we're going to talk about that and uh, talk about some some tips and things, uh, you know, from an entrepreneur standpoint, which we've got two really excellent guys here to talk about that with us today. So, because we've got Jason, we've got Gary, today's uh, podcast episode special sponsors are Honor Defense and Lucid Optics. So, you can learn more about them. You can go to honordefense.com and you can go to lucidoptics.com. If you don't know how to spell lucid, that's okay. L-U-C-I-D optics.com. And, uh, and also, just a quick mention that our Happy Birthday America sale should have kicked off this morning at 8 a.m., but due to some uh, server issues and worldwide outages uh, affecting a number of websites, that has been pushed back to tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Mountain Time start. So just a heads up Which on that. Which is July folks. 3rd. Correct. For those who are yes. listening to this, who knows when. Yep, yep. So July 3rd, 8 a.m., sale kicks off. Uh, tons of, of awesome doorbusters. And uh, great products, you know, discounted substantially. And we have some Lucid Optics products in there. So really excited about that. So um, anyway, sorry, I thought Jacob wanted to say something, but, you know, he's, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't get that good of reception in, in, the, in the bomb shelter. Maybe that's what it is. There's a delay. We have a lot of good products in there. That is true. <laughs> and they're going to they're gonna move fast. And, uh, yep, make, make it happen. Go to happybdayamerica.com to learn more about sale and make sure you are a member of Guardian Nation so you have access. There you go. See, that's that. you're doing your job, Jacob. Good man. All right. Well, that's all I got. So uh, that's a wrap. All right. We'll see you later. No, just kidding. All right. So let's, uh, let's, let's turn now to, uh, to today's discussion. Uh, so, again, welcome, Gary and Jason. Appreciate you guys for being on the show with us today. 
Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Are you guys going to always repeat each other throughout the episode? Is that, is that how, no, I'm just kidding. All right. So, <laughs> um, all right. So here's, here's where we're going to start. I'm going to actually start off by asking each of you a question. And, uh, basically what that is, is I'm going to ask you, how did you get to where you are right now? Like, how did you, you know, what's the kind of the beginning story of lucid optics and then the same for, Honor Defense. And I'm going to throw it at Jason first and Lucid Optics because you've been in it for a little bit longer. Uh, so let's hear the story from Jason and then we'll throw it over to Gary. So tell us, guys, how did you start your businesses? Where, how did you get to where you you are with those? And also maybe even some details about what led you up to that point. Like what made you want to start, say, an optics company or a firearms manufacturing business, which is, I mean, that, those are those are some pretty ambitious uh, things to do. Well, fair enough. The lucid Optics, it's pretty pretty simple. I was a, the optics guy at a small company called Brunton for a long time. And uh, when they took a corporate shift that I couldn't follow, as you can imagine, there's not a whole lot of opportunity in Riverton, Wyoming, for an optics guy that either is not running his own show or have somebody else pushing him. So I was kind of left to do my own thing. I uh, was a three gun competitor at the time and I was very frustrated with the offerings that were out there and available. There was a whole host of the novelty category optics out there and a handful of the, the super high end in the category. There wasn't a player in the middle ground doing a very good job. Um, and the more I looked at it, that was cross spectrum. It wasn't just rifle scopes, spotting scope, binoculars. It was red dot sights. Um, all the way around. And so as a three gun competitor and being frustrated with what I already had, red dot sites were my focus. Um, I found a, a supplier that I had worked with previously in my, my previous career. And uh, we went to work uh, engineering a, a, a new item. Um, at the time, it was a midsize. It was in the smaller of what was available. It was, um, it's more robust as cast, aluminum frame and I'm one of those guys that can break a bowling ball. So if it survives me, um, it's probably going to handle most of my customers one way or another. Um, the beautiful thing about being able to start your own thing is you get to write the rules. And so everything that I was frustrated with from a company standpoint, um, I was able to streamline with some common sense. And that's how the name Lucid kind of came about. I wanted something that meant something to a brand rather than just was neat. Um, so lucid, clarity, sanity, um, in, in a field of optics that uh, high prices have made things nuts. And then corporate attitudes where the Me Too products out there, they design it just because somebody else has one, makes me crazy. Um, so we started out with the HD7 Red Dot site and for a price point, a very specific mid-range price point, fixed a lot of issues with the Red Dot sites that were out there. Um, that resonated with a customer base that was looking for something new at the time. And we rode the one item for 18 months. That was our only thing we had for a long, long time. And so Lucid Optics, we, we listened to our customers. And every time we'd get customer feedback in any way, shape, or form, good, bad, negative, doesn't matter, we'd write it down. And then we categorize those things. And your customers will tell you what they want if you listen. And if you look at the natural progression of lucid optics over time um, from the red dot site through now all the way through the observation optics with spotting scopes and binoculars with uh, precision rifle scopes in the middle there, um, that all came through 
customer feedback, law enforcement feedback, military guys that are getting out of the service feedback. Um, we don't design anything in a vacuum. If it has a place with the Lucid Optics name on the side of it, um, there is a whole handful of folks, qualified folks, telling us what they wanted. And from an organic standpoint, that's grown our company leaps and bounds. From day one, starting in a small home office and out of my garage to now in a 12,000 foot manufacturing facility um, to almost a hundred times the size I was in 2009. Um, it's just, it's been an exceptional ride and I've got the customers to thank for that because they've told me what they wanted. All we had to do was listen. Uh, Jason, just, I'm going to, I know we're going to hear from Gary in a second, but you also have another uh, entrepreneurial venture, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, uh, with Fremont uh, Knives. So that, I don't know what the backstory is on that one. Well, I, I, one of my mentors and really close friends, um, Mike Jones, he, uh, he started Fremont Knives and I came on as a partner because he needed uh, some design help, some, uh, some business help because he couldn't do it all by himself. Um, and he was uh, operations and, and design guy over at Gerber for years. Mm. And so when he left that engine, um, he was looking for something to do because he just didn't sit still well. He's a lot like a lot of us entrepreneurs. Um, boredom's the root of all evil. So I started helping him, and politics caught his eye. And so I ended up buying him out of the venture, and now we're running Fremont Knives. We're in the process of a transition from – some of the, the overseas manufacturing to bring some of that home. And uh, those growing pains are definitely painful, but they're going to be worth it overall. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm, yeah. We, Jacob and I know something about that uh, personally, as far as, you know, we had all of our shipping fulfillment handled out house outside of the house uh, for, mm-hmm. for a good while. And uh, kind of because it was forced upon us, had to move all, a lot of that operation in house and it was painful. <laughs> Still is painful somewhat, but uh, but it, we know it's worth it. Uh, you know, actually, kind of glad we were forced into doing that. So, actually, I feel like we can relate somewhat there, as far as whether you're outsourcing something or subcontracting something out or or doing it for yourself. Uh, do, always doing it yourself, I think, has a lot of headaches. But if you could do it, if you can make it work, I think it's worth it. That's right. Cool. All right, Gary, you're up. What's your story, brother? Well, mine's probably a little different. Um, I got into this industry by accident, to be honest with you. I was, shoot, I was one of those competitors back in the 70s at four position shooting and got bored with it uh, in college, hung up my guns, transferred to University of Miami to attend Suntan U and enjoy some sunshine and finish up my education. And I did. And that was 1978. Uh, long career at Sara Lee Corporation in intimate apparel and active wear and all sorts of uh, food and, and clothing items. And then one day when that came to an end, I, I was working at Tasco and um, they were struggling. The industry was struggling back then. And uh, I was in an event at SHOT Show and uh, met some guys from the Olympic team. And next thing I know, they hired me to be the marketing manager for the uh, USA shooting team, which I really enjoyed, really enjoyed it. So, you know, but there's no money working for a charity, to be quite honest, but it's a tough way to go. So I um, uh, I left, went back to corporate life, and next thing I know, I got a call from a friend who said, do you know anyone comfortable with guns but has a corporate background like ours? And I said, well, yeah, maybe I do. Why? And it was uh, to work for Beretta. 
So um, I took the job at Beretta and absolutely loved it. Great brand, great company, absolutely dedicated to quality. Um, I have an Italian background in my family. My last name is actually Ramacciato. So uh, that's pretty Italian. We don't even know how to spell it. So, but it ends up, <laughs> so it must be Italian. Well, make a long story short, while I was there, you know, I just kept looking at the industry and I was looking at all this manufacturing and I thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. And, you know, in conversations with friends at other companies, what I realized is, is we all shared um, grip makers. Almost everybody had their grips made by an outside grip maker. So that's one key piece. Almost everybody gets their magazines from Metgar or Checkmate, another key piece. Almost everybody gets their barrels from Supreme Screw, Green Mountain Supply, Ernst & Schar, one of the others. That's another key piece. And then I met a lot of slide suppliers out there, and I went, you know, this polymer pistol business, which is growing rapidly, is really design, source, pack, and ship. You don't have to be a machinist. You don't have to have that manufacturing expertise. You have to have the design expertise. So um, over beer, I just started writing a business plan at night. And, um, you know, when, when uh, after Beretta, I went and helped two gun companies get started. And um, then I started peddling this business plan to private equity groups to say, I'd like to start a gun company. And most of them thought I was, you know, off my rocker, to be <laughs> honest with you. Kind of funny. Um, but I had a few that were very interested and, um, you know, we got funding and we, we got underway and, you know, the, the funny side story is that, uh, there was an investor who did a lot of work with Colt and I called Dennis Veyu at Colt and I said, Hey Dennis, I want to talk to you about this, this, uh, investor. And he said, I'm so glad you called. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, I have a business plan on my desk for something called honor defense. And I thought, ah, man. You know, so so much for surprise in the industry, right? <laughs> and uh, I flew up and met with Dennis and another cult executive. And I, as I was presenting it to him, uh, they keep saying, "Don't say honor defense, Gary. Say cult defense." So I thought, "Woohoo! This is going to be taken over by cult." And uh, you know, obviously it wasn't, but because um, I I think they're a little hesitant on the polymer pistol category. But, you know, we got funding, got underway, and, and much like our uh, our friends at Lucid, it's hard. It's entrepreneurial. You got to you got to really focus in on what consumers look for, and I think that's the one mistake a lot of entrepreneurs do. They'll say, "Well, I really like this, so I'm, I want to do this because I really like it." It's like, well, unless you plan on buying all of them, you really have to do what the consumers looking for. So, you know, there's some things on our gun I don't particularly like, but all the consumer research that we did. Um, said that's the way to go. And um, we hired engineers with backgrounds from Remington and Ruger um, and Beretta. And that's how we got started. I mean, it was literally um, just from paying attention and thinking there's got to be a better way. And I encourage anybody, uh, you know, who's listening to the podcast or watching this, you can do it. I mean, you can do it. You just have to set your mind to it. Um, I think this industry in particular is very open to other ideas, quite frankly, that's my perspective in a way. So I have a, an interesting follow-up question because I think I think a lot of companies have, uh, whether in our industry or others, they have the story of, well, I wanted X, Y, Z, and no one made it, so I decided to go make it. 
Um, that, that I think that's a common story, and and to some degree that's Jason's story, and, and uh, to some degree it's yours too. It's yours too, Gary. But but here's what I think is interesting: is a lot of the companies who do that fail, that because they they say, "Oh, I want X, and I'm going to go make it," uh, but it turns out after they make it, no one else wants X. <laughs> They're the only ones who wanted it, and so there's got to be some combination of seeing an opportunity. Uh, combined with actually knowing that the market will accept that product. And yeah. I think you were kind of starting to get at that, Gary, but um, just, just uh, I would love to hear some more thoughts on that, Jason. Like when you, when you were developing, you said, you know, you, you saw an opportunity, but how did you then qualify that opportunity with, I'm not the only one who's going to buy this product? Well, if anybody's ever spent 10 minutes around me, they realize I'm not shy. So, at matches, at shot shows, at uh, you know, coffee shops, anybody that listened, um, I'd ask the question, you know, if I found somebody that was a shooter or somebody that um, maybe law enforcement, ex-military, somebody that had a perspective that may be valuable, I would say, what if, and ask them. And they agree with the what if usually, or then caveat it with, but, and then they give me their input. Um, almost a hundred percent of those conversations drove the design concept that became the HT7. Um, I had an idea and a frustration. Um, I had the supplier, the, uh, the ability to design an engineer. Um, I have a marketing background to be able to, to bring it out. But what I didn't have was a clear direction as to what, and that's where I was talking about by talking and listen to the customers, listen to the people that are using the gear. Um, if enough of them say, yeah, you pull a hundred people and out of that hundred people, if over half of them are on board and then those that are on board, but they want changes, will tell you what they want. Um, I found that about 87% of the folks were of the like same mind on this, this kickoff of this product. And with that kind of ratio, all you have to do is execute it correctly and let people know that it's there and it took off. Yeah. Gary, talk a little bit about um, execution. I, I'm just going to make you kind of dovetail a little bit here. So you, you had a business plan, you got some funding. Uh, I, I won't name names, but I'm thinking in my mind of another gun manufacturer who came out of the market about the same time as you struggled to get their product out there. And now they're done. They filed bankruptcy and they're gone. So, you know, Execution is a challenge, especially in the manufacturing world, uh, when where both of you are trying to pull together various you know, suppliers and uh, materials and oh my goodness, you know. So Gary, comment yeah. on that a little bit. Yeah, I think you're referencing Hudson, and Hudson uh, came out at Shot Show 2017. We launched 2016, you know, and and frankly, they had the disadvantage of coming into the market right after Trump won. Sure. As the market was coming down. But for those of you that need any Hudson Gun Parts, if you go to HudsonGunParts.com, you can get a lot of different things, and we'll ship it out to you. We actually, speaking of being entrepreneurial, we uh, mm. we share a lot of vendors with Hudson, so we ended up with all their parts. Um, but it, they made a great gun. I, I just had a chance to shoot one uh, the other day. But uh, the execution part is absolutely critical. We... Um, we paid a lot of attention to the basics. I mean, we knew from my time at Bread and the other folks' time at Ruger and Remington what consumers were looking for. And, and what we noticed, what our gun is designed on, is basically 
the grip feel of the HK, because I think that's the best feeling. No, not me. Dealers told us when I was at Beretta that the HK uh, P30 was the best grip in the market. And I had a chance to sit down with 100 dealers and ask them about that because we knew that was a big uh, purchase decision driver. So we wanted to try and match that up as best we could in a single stack nine. SIG had their chassis system, but I don't know if you remember, they were selling two different calibers at one time and it drove the price up to about 1200, 1400 bucks. So it wasn't doing well. And, and when we saw that, we thought, well, shoot, we could push that back in a supply chain and lower our cost and really go after the middle market. So the execution is really the tough part. You, you've got to QC everything. Um, and your business plan, of course, shows here's our funding and we're just going to skyrocket. And the reality is it's up, down, it's despair. It's the highest of highs. It's the lowest of lows. And, and uh, uh, my business partner, um, who's an extremely successful entrepreneur, uh, called me one day and said, do you ever feel like the whole world's against you? And I said, you have no idea. I mean, it's a battle. Every day is a battle. Um, even when you do things right in, in the handgun industry, half the people are going to love it and half the people are going to hate it. And everyone is an expert online. Not everybody has the uh, resume that you guys have. You know, they can talk with a, a background of knowledge. You know, there's there's always someone just wants to criticize and probably whether you deserve it or not. And then other people see it and feed it. And, you know, I had someone call the other day and said, my, my wolf ammo doesn't feed right. So it must be, <laughs> you, you could try a different ammo, you know, and oh no, go through everything else. And um, I think the, the most fun part of the whole deal is how much I've learned. You know, this, uh, there's a light on my head. I really don't have gray hair. It's really dark, <laughs> but uh I've learned a lot, and that's been the most fun part of this, is uh, being in charge, you know, of our own destiny. It's not easy. There's struggles. There's nights you go to bed thinking, what in the world have I done? And then the next day, you just wake up raring to go and excited about it. But I I think our category is still ripe for a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities in just about every category I can think of. Yeah. You know, someone needs to just, you know, run with the idea that they have and but but not treat it as a um, uh, someone who's just hey this would be cool to do. You, to his point, you've got to have a, you've got to think it through and do what consumers are looking for. And if you can do that and execute, I think you'll have success. Yeah, you know uh, <clears throat> to that point, Gary. Uh, and it's actually a, a question that comes from one of our viewers on Facebook Live right now. Uh, this is a question for both Gary and for Jason, uh, because obviously with starting a business like what you guys have done, I mean, it, 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 it does take money. Uh, you can start small and you can try to grow slowly and, and do all that. And, and it, you know, that, that's, that's a viable way of getting into the business. Uh, it'll take some time, but it's still in the end, still takes money to, uh, to get to somewhere, you know, where I think you'll see long-term success. So a question from Craig is, given today's political climate, how reluctant are banks to loan to, to loan money to firearms-related companies? What do you guys, what's your guys' take on this? Jason, uh, go ahead. Well, I, it's very difficult. I don't think I'd ever go to a bank for funding. Um, you know, I think the best thing you can do is um, call up local private equity groups, 
find people that you know uh, that might be doing well financially. They might have friends. Um, as, as we spread the word and talk to more and more people, we just found more and more people interested until finally, you know, it connected. But I, it's a great question because he's right. The banks are reluctant. It, I think that's probably one reason why uh, United Sporting Companies struggled and finally filed for bankruptcy. Uh, no banks would, would step up. So um, I think you've got to go the private equity individual investor route. Yeah. Guys, I, my story is a shade different. I got a little bit different perspective on finance. Um, I agreed that uh, in the political climate, the, the social responsibility clause at a bank makes it dang near prohibitive for us to, in this industry, to approach them for finance or capital investment. Um, I'm a fifth generation Wyoming kid, and I was raised pretty healthily. If you don't have it in your pockets, you don't need it. So when I started my company, I started out with 400 bucks, my money, built my prototype and five articles that I could show around the dealers to see if there was an interest. And in my first stop, one dealer bought all five of my first articles. I took that money, went back and bought a production run and got it started. A um, little bit more investment on my side. So 400 turned into 4,000 and then I took that next shipment and I sold it. Now, going about it this way will definitely retard your growth. However, <laughs> from a integrity business standpoint, I don't owe anybody any money. Um, every decision I get to make is mine and mine alone. Um, the bankruptcy side of things is not an issue for me because um, my lights are on because I sell product and turn a profit. And I take those profits and put them back into my business. Now I've got people that I take care of. So the engine has to continue to move. But uh, we've never done the capital investment or the, the finance option or had somebody inject cash to us. This all came out of my pocket and built it from the integrity of the brand selling. You don't have to do it with capital investment. You can do it on your own. It'll be slower. Yeah. You're going to want it to be growing big faster, but we've been around since 2009. One of the main reasons I can attribute that we're not exactly a huge market player like we are is because we don't spend the money that way in the advertising and the marketing budgets. We spend it in quality control and product insertion into dealer networks. Um, again, I'm not extended. I have no debt. So Lisbon's going to be here for a while. Those customers that we gain, they're family. So we take care of our friends and our customers just like we take care of our money. I don't owe anybody anything. So you can do it. It's just slower. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think there's a couple of angles there. One is sort of, well, what's my growth plan? What's my objective? What's my goal? And what's going to be required to reach that goal? I also think that inherently different industries have different requirements. That's right. Um, you know, dot com, we're we're self-funded. We have no capital. We've never taken on any capital, and I built it as a side job and then it became a full-time job and then I started hiring people. And here we are today, we got about 10 employees and you know, we're, we're a decent sized business. But uh, if, you know, if, if today I wanted to start a manufacturing full-size rifle safes, you know, that, that would be a different game. You know, that would be a whole different world. And I don't, I don't know if I could self-fund that or if that would be something where I'd be looking for capital. So I think a person has got to, you know, 
to, to both you guys' point, you got to have a goal, you got to have a, a plan, and you got to know what's what's necessary to get there, and, and you just got to understand the the uh, parameters or the, the restrictions that you're engaging in when you pick either route, right? There's pros, cons there uh, of, of, of getting capital. And this, I think it's true in all industries, not just our industry, but you know, if you get capital, then great, you got cash. That's good news. Uh, but on the, on the flip side, then you're beho- behoven to some people to some degree for some period of time. Uh, whereas if, if you're self-funded, you're, you probably just don't have the cash you need for fast, rapid growth, unless you, 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 you're coming from a place with a great deal of cash. But Anyway, I, I think there's I think there's pros and cons, right? And it's a matter of a person deciding what they want to do. Really, it comes down to the trifecta: time, talent, or money. Yeah. Yep. What you don't have in one, you can make up with abundance of another. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, here's an interesting thought. So, speaking of the gun industry specifically, and we we're this came up a little bit before we started recording today. But what are some of the challenges that gun industries companies that you know we face that people not in our industry don't have to deal with. So, you know, and, and maybe an example, you know, if you want to share a specific example of something you've run into, you know, we were talking a minute ago about, you know, about banks being reluctant to lend to firearm businesses and uh, whether it's in this economy or any economy, that's probably half true. But what are some other things that you feel like, ah, you know, dang it, my buddy down the street who owns a business, he never has to deal with this because he's not in the gun industry, right? What are, what are some of those things? Uh, Gary, what, what, what about you? What's, what's one or two things you've run into that's like, Man, because of the guns. Yeah, uh, the ATF reporting, of course, is, is an obvious one where we've got to track every serial number. Um, that's a challenge for us. Um, you know, I, I think the other one is um, it's a very friendly industry. I'm sure that if, if I was in um, another category, we wouldn't have police and other people just come up knocking on our door to see how we're doing and coming in and... <laughs> We love it when people come visit, but it's amazing. You can be right in the middle of something huge. And people's like, hey, I heard there was a gun company. Can I come in? Well, no, no, you can't. Sorry. Um, So it's funny because it's a very friendly industry. So I find on Saturdays, a lot of times I wake up early to give tours. I'll tell people, yeah, come by Saturday morning. I'll meet you at eight o'clock and give you a tour. Yeah. Yeah. For me, guys, it's pretty simple. Um, Coming back to money, credit card processing. Yeah. There are not that many folks out there um, that are friendly to our industry. Um, and I've, I've been through several, uh, not naming names of companies that are not. Um, you, you get down the road because they don't tell you up front that they're not. And next thing you know, you're being shut off from your stream of income from that side of the house because you don't meet those social responsibility clause. Um, they could have let you know that in advance when they accepted your business to begin with, but that's not how they work. So uh, credit card processing is probably one of the things that, that's unique, in my opinion, to this type of industry where it's not um, ex- widely accepted uh, from the finance side of things. It's a, it's a challenge that I think other businesses just don't have. Yep. Yeah. Hey, Jason, who do you guys use? We are using Clarent, and we're going through the uh, NRA Business Alliance to get it. Okay. Yeah, we've been using um, what's the group that works with the Antares Alliance? Is it E-pro- E? Um, e processor. Same folks. Okay. Yeah, they, it's they all powered by Clarent. Yeah, they do a nice job. They do. Uh, 
and, and you know, it is nice that there are some resources like that. You mentioned the NRA Business Alliance, right? It's nice that there are some resources where there's an opportunity for vendors who do want to work with companies in this industry to kind of have a home and to have a voice and to say, raise their hand and say, hey, we're here. That's we're right. here. We'll work with you. Um, and so that that is nice that some of those things are around. Our, our business, man, we, we, we play that game for sure. And, and we're a little bit, you know, perhaps uh, fortunate uh, relative to companies in this industry because we don't sell guns, we don't sell ammo, we don't sell pointy objects. Uh, we're primarily selling training um, and, and accessories. And so we're able to get away with some things that otherwise we would not be able to. But you mentioned credit card processors. I'm thinking about all the places that we run advertising. You know, we spent, I don't know, a couple million bucks last year on advertising. And I think 98% of the places where we put advertising, uh, it would have been rejected if I was Gary. Uh, yeah. So, and, and I sold guns so that, you know, where you can advertise, I'm thinking about insurance. Oh my gosh, insurance. When we first <laughs> uh, got our liability policy, we, uh, someone said, go to, you know, blank, you know, gun blank insurance, whatever.com. And we're like, okay, sure. We didn't know better. We signed up. And then we started finding out, you know, how little some other companies were paying. And uh, we're like, oh my gosh, we're being ripped because we're in the, we're a gun company. And it took a solid like three months and endless numbers of insurance brokers churned through to find a company who would insure us. And we don't even sell any guns or ammo. Uh, I, I, you know, they, all, all they had to hear is concealed carry. And they're like, nope, don't want anything to do with yeah. it. I can't imagine some of the challenges that you guys go through. Gary, especially. Um, it, it just, it's, it's a, there's some tough road things there. You know, it's funny. I get so used to it. Sometimes I forget. And, and you guys have roped me around onto this. So a good example is we've got to pay firearms excise tax. So 10% of everything we sell, we've got to write an extra check to the government for 10% of all sales for handguns. Ammunition and long guns are 11%. And, you know, so it's, I don't know how some gun companies do it. You'll see Palmetto State Armory selling shields for 249. (laughs) You know, it's a great price and it's, it's a good gun. But, you know, I look at it and go, holy crap, there's a, there's about 24 bucks or so of that that's going straight to the government just for excise tax, let alone all the other taxes. You know, so frankly, um, our industry in, in firearms, we're being taxed. They're trying to tax us out of existence. They really are doing their best um, to do that. And this new ammunition tax in California, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if if, um, if they can't make it outlaw, they'll just make it so damn difficult that, uh, you know, a lot of folks will give up. But, um, it's the blessing of this industry. You know, we all fight on and, and I think we do it because we love it. We do it because we enjoy it and it's the right thing to do, but it's the one thing that I would encourage everybody viewing. This is not an eight to five industry. <laughs> You're gonna, it is 24 seven. I mean, literally I, I came back, I was in meetings in Miami, then Orlando. I've been in, I've been gone for 11 days. And then I had to jump in a car, run up to Chattanooga. And then I got home late last night after 11 or 12 days on the road. And that's just, you know, it, it's how you live and it's, it's building relationships and understanding the consumer and helping others succeed and they help you succeed. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to add, Jason? No, I pretty much covered it pretty well there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, You know, Jacob, I was thinking about, you know, how uh, there was a time where we did sell ammunition 
and knives and a few other things on our on our site. Uh, and maybe some listening wonder why those some of those things disappeared. And it really was a decision to avoid some of the headache that uh, an expense and expense selling some of those things, you know, uh, caused caused us or could cause us, you know, in the in the we we realized one day that we were putting some other parts of our business in jeopardy because we had those items, and it came down to you know those items were not big drivers of our business; they were a very 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 small piece of the pie. Where we had these other things, they were much bigger players uh, for us as a as a company, and so we just had to make that business decision. You know what? This is not you know these even as much as I would love to still be able to sell some of those things that we used to, they just weren't big big enough drivers of the business to justify the additional risk of having those in our business. We again, we are more focused on the training aspect of things, and we are more focused maybe on concealed carry specific uh, items. Uh, products and so forth and holsters and things like that things that are you know rather benign when you know i mean ammunition and guns and knives really you know or other self-defense tools you know uh, uh, pepper spray or tasers you know those sorts of things they get a really bad knock Uh, i I just don't think people understand this like you guys you can't post something on facebook and boost it and give facebook money if that links back to a web page where ammunition, guns, pointy objects, tasers, pepper spray, mace, or brass knuckles are sold. Yeah. You can't do it. Let me add to that, though. Lucid Optics can't boost or advertise on Facebook either. And we don't sell any of that stuff. Yeah, that's insane. We are guilt by association and lumped in. Um, The issue I have with that whole topic is we're letting it be okay. Right, right. That we just kind of deal with it and move on. So enough's enough. I went with a processor that does handle firearms manufacturers because right. I'll never be discriminated against again because of that. And that's what it is. It's discrimination. So by acquiescing and choosing to alter your chosen business practices because someone says you can't process a card with us because it's discrimination. It's bigotry. It's ugly. And I'm a free man, damn it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think that's uh, I appreciate that kind of perspective, right? Because I think I think one, the consumer needs to understand uh, what these companies are dealing with that they're buying from. You know, they I, I think that our customers don't always understand that kind of that those important parts of the perspective. And I think as someone who wants to get into this business needs to understand that you know some decisions have to be made here, and those decisions are going to be very impactful. And and you know you can always pivot, right? You can always pivot. Me and Riley. You'll see a day in the future where we uh, we're working to change our business model such that we can get to a place where we can make a pivot and we can change who we do some business with and and it'll allow us to you know remain in business. Um, but sometimes you know as you mentioned earlier, Jason, you get down the road before you find out you know what ugly deal you've done with the devil. Right. And it sometimes takes a while to undo those deals with the devil. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I, I was thinking about oh. Shopify. Um, mm. you know, spot thinking of discrimination, you know, Shopify last year announced they're going to start kicking vendors off of their marketplace that are using their software to sell uh, guns and certain products. And, you know, I was, I was talking to the guys over at uh, a very popular coffee company 
and they they use Shopify. And for them to migrate off of Shopify purely because Shopify discriminates against some of their other friendly businesses in the industry would cost them a lot of money. Like we're talk- probably talking about a half a million dollar project just to, to migrate off of Shopify to another e-commerce solution. And it's like, do they want to? Yes. Are they thrilled that they're working with a company that doesn't support the Second Amendment fully? No. But you know, to some degree, your hands are tied for a certain period of time. And, and when, when they started working with Shopify, they didn't know that was going to be a thing. That, was, that wasn't in the terms and conditions at the time, right? So sometimes, yeah, you, you get into those deals with the devil and it just, you, you have a hard time undoing them. Yeah, you know, I, I hear you. But I do think at some point, some of these companies have got to bite the bullet and say, enough's enough. Um, I know we did that with one of our vendors. Um, there's a major distributor. If you follow some distributors on or NSSF, you know, right now there's the big thing about uh, salesforce.com. Yeah. And, uh, you know, frankly, I think anyone in our industry that sells firearms uh, as a distributor or other products, it might cost them a little bit of money, but they need to drop salesforce.com. I mean, if they're actively working against Second Amendment rights, I don't know how you. I don't know how you partner with them. I, I just yeah. don't. Yeah. That, well, there's. Go, go ahead, Riley. Oh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I was just thinking. You know, I mean, it, we're sometimes it becomes a point where I wonder. You know, where do we draw the line as far as on both sides uh, of the issue? As far as where do we draw the line that says enough is enough? And we try to push back, and, and frankly, I think we, we we should try to push back with these sorts of things all the time, uh, whether that's through you know business decisions uh, where we put our money, whether that's through maybe even legislation. Um, you know, I'm definitely cautious about legislation because uh, I'm a very much. Uh, uh, anti kind of government sort of person, you know, I, I prefer the government interferes as le- as least as possible in, in, in our lives and in our businesses. But, uh, but the other thing is I wonder where we draw the line on the other side, as far as, you know, it's really easy to sit here and say, okay, you know, like they're anti-gun, so I'm not going to do business with them. And, 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 and to what I said a, mi- a moment ago, I'm sure there's some of our listeners that are like, well, guys, like, you know, why would you do that? Why would you change the way you did your business? Why would you stop selling some of these products? Because, it, you know, it, it risks these other parts of your business. Well, you know, I have to look at our own business. Our business exists, frankly, if, if I'm going to be frank about it, it exists because of Facebook. Because we've been so successful at marketing things on Facebook because it's been such a powerful platform for us. We wouldn't even be here if we didn't have that, right? And so we've gotten very good at figuring out how to sort of play that game because it's worked really well for us. So maybe we've sold ourselves sold to the devil. I don't know. But you know what? I know that we have 10 really good guys, employees that work for this business that exists because we've been able to to do what we've been able to do. And, and, and some of that has caused us to maybe change some things about the way we do business. And I don't, it's certainly not outside the realm of possibilities that we change things down the road. There we go. You know what? We're, 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 we're pivoting and we're going this direction and we're dumping this other thing or whatever it is. Uh, I mean, right now we're airing our podcast live on Facebook because this is where we have our greatest reach. This is where our people are. Um, I'd love to say that there was another platform that uh, that worked better for us, but right now there's not. Uh, I, I and I struggle with that, frankly, I do. But yeah, 
at the same time, I, I have, you know, we have mouths to feed. We have 10 families that, that depend on, on this business. And, uh, well, I'll throw out this know. other thing. I, I'd love to hear Jason and uh, Gary's thoughts on this too, but sometimes it, it seems like some of these vendors who push back on, uh, the gun businesses, some of them are, are malicious politically. Um, they, they are very clearly discriminating, as you said, Jason, against, uh, a, a, an industry for, for political or social reasons. Um, other times, it's more my sense that <clears throat> that business isn't discriminating. They're just super cautious. And this is a way that they feel they're mitigating risk. Um, and, and I, you know, sometimes you can't distinguish between the two. Sometimes you have no idea. It's like, well, it's, it all looks this, you know, it walks like a duck, you know, clucks like a duck. It's a duck. Um, but I, I don't I don't know that it, the, the difference matters or not. I don't know. What do you think, Jason? Well, you, you said it probably without knowing what you exactly said, but <laughs> um, it comes right down to mitigating risk. The lawyers and the insurance companies have gotten hold of the companies and imposed upon them, again, back to a social responsibility clause in their structure of how their companies govern, and they prohibit certain activities. Well, we get lumped into those certain activities in a social responsibility clause with the pornographers, yeah. um, with uh, folks that are uh, not even remotely close to what we do. Yeah. Um, and by that social responsibility clause getting lumped in, they mitigate the risk because they don't want to be exposed by being associated with something that could go bad. So again, it's back to insurance. It's back to lawyers. And they've made a choice where they, okay, that's fine. We really don't need that business. And because there's a whole world of other sides of what they do that aren't us. Uh, but they also refuse to understand us. I, I mean, I, I assemble glass, aluminum, rubber, plastic. And I allow people to see clearly and make an aiming solution. Um, in a lot of ways, what I do is I give responsibility to the shooter to decide whether to squeeze that trigger or not. Okay. Um, we are lumped in with a firearms manufacturer, a blade manufacturer, and are discriminated against just because my stuff goes on top of their stuff. Um, it, it comes right back down to they're not willing to put themselves out in an insurance risk. Just like you made a conscious decision not to sell certain things or do certain associations because of your processor or whatever it is. Um, it comes down to that decision and what we allow to be okay. Um, as an industry, as a just heck of an American, minimize the bad decisions of what you're allowing to be okay. And we're all going to be better off. Yeah. I, I got two thoughts here. I'm going to pivot us, speaking of pivoting a little bit in our conversation. I wanted to I wanted to focus on two other things that are interesting here. One would be, you know, a lot of those things we don't have a lot of uh, – influence over. I can't influence Facebook's policies or Google's or Amazon's or, you know, Salesforce or whatever it is uh, in, a, in a very significant way. But what I can influence, and I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on this, is where my business is based. Um, I'm a Wyoming native. I've got a lot of love for Wyoming. I don't live there now. And so maybe I'm a trader. I don't know. But uh, Jason, you know, you're in a place where, you know, Wyoming has worked very hard for several years to bring gun companies into the state and to give them incentives to do that. Uh, Gary, you're in Georgia. 
I don't know a ton about Georgia outside of knowing that it's a pretty gun-friendly place. So, you know, th- those are those are some of the decisions we can make. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about, you know, if someone's listening to this, they're like, oh, I'm just about to go start a business in the firearm industry. Um, how much weight would you put on deciding where to put that business? A lot. Well, yeah, a lot. You're exactly right. It, it makes a huge difference in firearms, as an example. Georgia has state laws on the books that prohibit financial discrimination uh, for businesses in the firearms and outdoor industry. There are laws on the books. Sometimes the challenge is because it's politicians is getting them to enforce it. We have an attorney general in Georgia who's uh, pretty worthless. Uh, when we were discriminated against, he refused to pursue it. He says, well, I may not win it. And that's why, why is that the point? So, uh, you know, a lot of the times it's, it's the political environment and the atmosphere, but you have to have a good, solid base. You know, we hear great things about Idaho. We hear great things about Wyoming, uh, Texas. Georgia's pretty good. Alabama, I think, is pretty good for firearms. Um, you know, the obvious one, Massachusetts, California, New York, you'd never go there. You just wouldn't. Um, and a lot but, of these companies in our industry have been there for like 100 years. <laughs> yeah. And some of them are stuck there because that's where their equipment is. That's where they're, um, you know, you can't screw it up much more than Remington moving out of Ileana and moving things to Huntsville, losing the talent and the skill that they had, uh, the equipment. You know, it, it was just, it was a horrible experience for them. But, you know, I think they did it for the right reasons. They just have to work through all that down market and evolution of um, the skill level of the employees. Jason, what, do you, what are your thoughts? From, from our side of things, it, it location's a big deal. Uh, again, I'm born and raised several generations of my family have been here in Wyoming. Um, it's home. Um, maybe that's part of the reason I hate people. <laughs> I, I choose to live in a place where there aren't that many of them. You need uh, a drink. I'm going to send you some peanuts. Yeah, do that. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, um, we're, we're the only species on the planet where the herd mentality makes us more stupid. <laughs> and the more of us there are, the, the more taxes there are, the more um, legislation there is, the more issues there are. Um, Wyoming's done a pretty good job of, of courting some of the firearms industries in. Um, and then a big chunk of that's tax base. I mean, there's only 400,000 people in our entire state. So tax base is not a big deal here. It's pretty small. So they incentivize those companies to bring jobs here. And I mean, that's what Weatherby just did. They moved to Sheridan, bought a bunch of jobs. Um, the, the business council gave them a great deal on property, uh, deferred taxes for years. I mean, decade of maybe. Um, I mean, from a business migration or just even a startup standpoint, uh, you got to look at your environment. It's got to be friendly to what you do. And that comes down to financials as well. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to bring up a point that, that pivots off of that. So for the folks that are listening, I'm not sure if are we are we above one right now, Riley, have we got uh, a couple of folks still hanging on with us. Oh yeah. 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 We have okay. about 30. Oh, great. So yeah. um, I'd like to address them. So, you know, I, hopefully they're, they're watching this podcast and, you know, listening uh, to the folks at Lucid because what a wonderful business story he's, uh, he's got. Jason's done a great job. 
Um, so you've got an idea in your head as one of the folks listening and you're trying to figure out what do you do? Um, Jason, you came from within the industry and I was out of it and then sort of got into it. Um, I'd love to hear Jason's thoughts on, so what steps do they take to a protect themselves, get into the industry? Um, you know, distributors have been a traditional way of, of, uh, distributing your products. They're struggling right now. You know, for those of you that don't know, a big one just uh, filed for bankruptcy. So distributors are tough. And a lot of times it's going to be on the individual doing exactly what Jason did. And that's going door to door and knocking on doors and being an evangelist. And uh, again, it is, uh, it's not easy, but I'd like to hear Jason's thought on that. What, what steps would you recommend for someone who's got a great idea? Well, Maybe probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great question. Probably the most important step is self-evaluation. Um, you're not going to climb into this industry and be successful if you were afraid of work. If you think somebody's going to come in and do it for you, if you think a sales force is going to take it over and push it into all the doors and you can think of, that's not going to happen. Um, you have to get the guy behind the counter to convince the manager at the store to look at the product line. Then it's got to be available to them. So uh, you have to approach it from all facets. Uh, you said it earlier, this is a 24 seven business. Um, I don't know anybody in this industry that sleeps much. <laughs> you don't have the luxury of it. You don't. No. Um, so first step, protect yourself. Be aware that this is going to be hard work. It's not going to be easy. Um, you're going to find social circles where this topic's not welcome. You're going to have to come to terms with that. Um, financing it all. There are options out there, but you have to find an environment that's friendly. And it takes the combination of all of these things to put it together to be successful because one failure and all of that, it could derail your train pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's an interesting topic that I'd love to hear us bounce around. I know Riley, you're probably thinking we got to stop talking. I don't know how long we've been on, but I, you know, the environment's changed so much. This is true, not just in our industry, but all industries because of the internet, right? So we've gone from an environment where, you know, People don't walk into, you know, Bob's gun shop down the street as much as they used to and say, Bob, what you got here for a holster for my gun or what do you got for a, for an optic? You know, people are looking on the internet and Amazon and, and, uh, Jason, you've, you've kind of got a really good history about 10 years here where you've seen a lot of that transformation in the environment. You know, what, what would you say to someone who's starting out today, you know, relative to, you know, how do they balance that relative to distributors, retail online? You know, what does that look like? Um, well, if you don't have the retail locations and some of the key players online, um, you're really going to struggle. So you've got to focus there first. Distributor model, um, I still think has the potential for volume, but the players are getting smaller and smaller in the, in the grand scheme of things. Um, a few years ago, AccuSport went away. Um, they were bought by Jerry's. Now they're in, in serious trouble. Um, bigger companies overextend themselves and they, they, they become – an addiction because they are one of your life bloods or your, your go-to customers. And when they're not there, your business hurts, especially if you become to rely on that side of it and re- neglect the retail side of things. Um, go door to door, go see those guys at the counter. Cause if you have competitors in your field, for example, and that guy behind the counter, when his customer walks up and says, I am looking for optic a, 
and he doesn't grab yours and say, you know what, you got to look at this, chances are he's going to get overlooked in the case. Um, so you have got to figure out how to get the guy behind the counter to pull it out from underneath. You've got to figure out how on the online retailers for them to position you in the top portions of the searches. And sometimes you got to spend co-op money to do that. Um, sometimes you can seed their educational platform with videos and content. It just, there's a big mixed bag of it. Don't be afraid to climb on your cell phone and make a video and show people what's going on. But again, you've got to, again, beat it. Gary, uh, my last thought here, and then I'll I'll shut up. I swear, Riley. <laughs> you know what about the networking aspect? You, I think all of us would agree that the fire industry is a family, yes. and there's a lot of opportunities to to be part of that family. But you know, what would what advice would you give someone when they if they said, well, how big of a deal is it that I know people or that I get out there, or go to these shows or events or network? You know, what speak to that part of the business a little bit? Yeah, I would I would say it's critical. Um, you know, if you can find a way to get to SHOT Show, um, attend every event and not to your local gun shows. I mean, those are nice. Uh, that's where you'll see retailers. But, um, you know, I think uh, as an example, we met because there was a, a review done and I didn't like it. So I sent you guys a note and said, hey, would you like to hear the other side of the story? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can't be shy. You just have to pick up the phone. Like Jason said, you've got to get in your car, you've got to travel. I literally um, jumped in the car again. I've been on the road for 11 days. Every dealer I walked into said, you know, I've heard about you guys, but no one's ever really called on us. You know, I realized our sales force failed. And uh, we picked up at some mega retailers. And I got to the guys behind the counter. And these guys are excited. They want to carry our gun, personally carry it. And that's what, you know, as Jason said, that's, what you dream of because in our industry um word of mouth is critical and particularly in guns somebody has to pull that gun out from behind the counter and put it on the counter for someone to touch so if we don't have the guy behind the counter we're, we're dead it's really important for every category in the industry and you just you've got to work it hard as hard as you can and then work it harder but you've got to know the folks get comfortable um, there was a, there was an agency that went to shot show and, uh, they were from Georgia and they're not, they're nice folks, talented group, but they, they stood there like the backstreet boys. And I said, guys, you know, with all due respect, everyone's going to peg you as not being from within the industry and, you know, just kind of folks hunting around trying to get business. I said, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, but you might want to dress a little differently tomorrow. So they kind of went from the Backstreet Boys to a little bit more like Justin Bieber. Um, they went the wrong direction, but uh, <laughs> you know, you have to um, you have to love the products and you have to love the category because you can't fake in our industry. I mean, you just can't. Yeah, that's pretty apparent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. that uh, there's some truth there. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're still kind of a new player in the industry. Uh, uh, Gary, your, your business is fairly new, but you've been in the industry for a while, you know, having worked for other uh, big companies like Beretta, for instance. Um, 
you know, and actually, Jason, I don't know if you remember this, but I I, I remember meeting you at a sh- I think it was at Shot Show, um, probably four years ago, and we had a, sh- a relatively brief exchange, and you know, I checked out your your optics. That was the first time I ever laid hands on them, and I thought they thought they looked like a great product. It's actually been really fun for me today to to hear more of your story and kind of hear how some of that started with Three Gun, since I am also a Three Gun competitor these days. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm going to have to get a little bit more familiar with your stuff. And, and uh, you know, what's cool about this industry is, like you said, Gary, you need to try to assimilate, I think, into the industry. You need to try to understand the industry. You need to make connections and meet people and become friends. And that that's one thing that's pretty, pretty cool, I think, in this industry that's, I think, maybe a little bit unique about our industry is that even though from the outside in particular or to the average Joe, the firearms industry, and I say firearms industry, I'm, I am talking about all these categories and subcategories. Uh, it, it seems like it's pretty big. It, I mean, honestly, it is pretty big. But in terms of like the people, like a lot of people know all the other people, you know, and, and, it, and it's kind of cool to see that. And you see people that have bounced from one company to another company to another company, and they still have all these connections at all these other places, and they still have good relationships with some of those people. Obviously, there's exceptions no matter what, what you do or wherever you go. But uh, that's one thing that has been apparent to me. And I, I think because we feel like we're on the defensive, politically speaking, uh, legislatively, you know, all of that stuff, uh, even with fighting banks and 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 retailers and credit card processing companies, uh, I think it kind of bonds us together a little bit more than it maybe otherwise would because we are on the same side of wanting to fight back against those things and wanting to be recognized as a legitimate, honest, uh, good industry. And, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to we're trying to do the best we can all together. So I see a lot of even when you see two competing companies, you'll see a lot of times they still get along or or they'll do things together. Even at the match level, thinking about again like Three Gun or other matches I've been to, sometimes I've seen matches where you have two companies that are very much direct competitors, but they're there supporting the local shooters and they're supporting the match and they're supporting the sport. And that's also really cool to see. So there's a lot of really amazing things about this industry, and the and the people I think is really where it's at. So, gentlemen, uh, it is kind of that time we got to wrap it up. I, I feel like we could go for a long time, but but we're basically at an hour, and that's kind of that's that's where we try to try to keep it to. I'm going to throw it back to you for any last thoughts, uh, advice, suggestions, whatever it is. This would be you know, say your final word for, you know, 30, 60, maybe 90 seconds. And, oh, actually, and before I, I turn it over to you, I'm actually going to have Jason start because I do have a question I promised one of our viewers that I would ask. And so you could start with this, Jason, and then, uh, and then you know, give the, re- the rest of your response there. And uh, I think it was uh, Chris or somebody was asking, I think he's looking at maybe moving to Casper. And, uh, and he's wondering if you have... A and you're up in Sheridan, right? So, I'm I mean, in what's that? I'm in Riverton, or excuse me, Rever- Riverton. That's right. I got it. Yeah, um, which is a totally different part of the state. But uh, I was thinking, I was looking at Weatherby and their move and everything. So, anyway, so uh, you're in Riverton, which is not super close to Casper. But Chris wants to know if you have a store that he can come and see and visit. And uh, so, if you'll start your response with that. 
Well, in, in Casper, um, we, we don't um, have a store um, that uh, is carrying a, a wide selection. Um, the Wyoming Gun Company in Casper has probably got the best selection of our stuff, and that's an indoor range with a pro shop. Um, if he wants to roll over to Riverton, which is a couple-hour drive from Casper, bring him into the shop, show him around, give him a tour, let him touch and play anything he wants to, wants to come see. Always happy to see a customer. Um, and, and in closing, this foot, you know, entrepreneurial mindset kind of things, and some advice is if you've got a concept and you've done that, your, your friend polling and you, you talk to some professionals and it still sounds like a good idea, don't be scared. Do it. Because there are worse things than death, and that's called regret. Because you always ask yourself, what if? Well, answer that question for yourself. And this industry is really friendly. You can reach out to folks that are in it, even competitors. They may not be incredibly willing, but they're going to help you one way or another. It's just the way the industry works. You can show up to almost any competition shoot I know of without a firearm mm -hmm. and go, I'd like to try this. And you'll have 10 guys falling over themselves trying to take their kid off and give it to you and let you run it. It's just the way we do things. So yeah. don't be scared. Go do it. That's what I've done. I agree with that 100%. That, what you just said right there is true because I've witnessed it a, a bunch of times. New shooters showing up, and that's what I tell people. They ask, how do I get into this? How do I go to a match? You know, Where do I start? Where do I begin? I'm like, just show up. So what, what you said is true. Gary. Yeah, just to add on to that, it, I think it's true in the competition world. It's also true in the manufacturing to retailer or distributor world. Um, everyone is eager to help. You know, they want to make sure that um, you've got an idea that you're going to stand behind. And, you know, you've got to be ready to answer questions like, well, what do I do if something breaks? What do I do if it doesn't sell? How will you help my guys? So, you know, Think it through about training, about product knowledge, um, but there's there's boatloads of opportunity, and I'm sure I speak for Jason. If you have a question, send me a note uh, or send Jason a note or any of the folks at Concealed Carry. We're, we're all entrepreneurs in this industry, and, um, you know, it's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, but I, I really relate to what Jason said, the what if, because when, when we drained every penny we had, and my wife looked at me like I was crazy. I said, oh, I don't want to die. Thinking, what if I hadn't done this? Now, it may not turn out the way we'd hoped, but you know what? You can't uh, you can't lay down for the big nap having regrets. That's right. Awesome. Well, I, I, I don't have anything entrepreneurial to add. I'll just say that <laughs> I really appreciate the uh, relationship that we have that we're building with, with you guys. I have here my, my, uh, my honor guard. This this gun's been through some abuse, uh, as Gary knows. We we beat this thing around. The other, yeah, they should have seen the other one. Right? Yeah, yeah, should have seen it before Gary fixed it for him when we were dropping it on the concrete to see if it would go off. And, uh, and and so you know, great relationships are sometimes forged out of adversity. And I have here my HD7. This is the Gen Three. There you go. Uh, mounted right here on on the what I call the the concealedcarry.com gun because we got all sorts of laser engraving and stuff done on this gun, and. And it's just great optic. I'm really excited to go run this. Uh, it's relatively new to me, but I'm really excited to go run it. And I think 
you know, it's, it's about those relationships. And for those of you who are listening to this, if you've listened all the way through this episode and you're like, I have no interest in starting a business, I, I hope something you will take away from this is that um, as a consumer in this industry, you know, know who you're doing business with. Get to know those companies. Get to know the brand. Uh, get to know where they're where they're based, and and uh, go to the shows if there's an expo near you or a trade show or the NRA whatever or the this expo or th- attend what you can and get to know these brands. Go into go into the local gun store. Uh, my gosh, you know we 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 spend so much time on the internet. Go find out who your local people are. Go into the local gun store. Touch product. Uh, ask those guys for their input and their feedback and what they're seeing. And if, I think if you engage with the companies and the brands in this industry and their products uh, beyond pictures on the internet, uh, you'll be the better you'll be the better person for it, and you'll support some amazing people like Lucid Optics and and uh, Honor Defense. Yeah, one thing to add to that uh, for those of you as consumers, hesitate before you jump online and say, "Yeah, all these products are trash. Or all these are the best." There are, there are a lot of great products out there, and. Um, don't discount them just because it's a small company. Uh, you know, think of yourself uh, as it's your optics company or your firearm company or your accessory company. And someone who has no experience with your product just goes online and starts selling everybody it's trash. Um, that's why there's people that are balanced and expert in the fields like uh, Riley and Jacob, you know, that, that do this sort of thing for a living and are able to ascertain where's truth and where's reality. And um, it's one of the reasons why we appreciate everything you guys do because um, everybody has a voice and lots of times consumers don't know who to listen to. So it, it's good when there's people uh, with knowledge and experience that can talk about product. Well, obviously he's talking about you, Riley. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> let you respond to that. Uh, very kind words, Gary. Thank you. Um, well, you know, that's something that we have strived. I say we because it is me. It's, it is Jacob. It is our our team. We we strive to uh, to be factual and to be honest about uh, everything we do, and also be kind. I'll add. And I think that goes to the root sure. of what Gary is saying: is there's a respectful way to disagree with someone or to provide feedback to a brand or to a vendor or a manufacturer. And then there's very disrespectful and unkind ways to do those things too, whether it's out of ignorance or credibility and knowledge. Um, it's about the respect. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, after that, after all this talk about how wonderful the industry is and how we support each other. And it is also kind of a funny, funny, you know, funny because it's just sort of weird and unusual. I think that, uh, while I think we have an amazing industry and an amazing gun community, we're also very good at very quickly tearing one another down <laughs> over some of the dumbest stuff. And so definitely would love to, to see that that attitude change at times. But guys, this has been great. I really appreciate you, Gary and Jason, for being willing to come on the show with us today and talk about these things. Uh, folks, give Honor Defense and Lucid Optics some love. Head on over to the websites. Uh, again, Lucid Optics, lucidoptics.com, and uh, Gary's company, Honor Defense, honordefense.com. So we appreciate if you'd give them some love, check out their products, uh, give them a look. And Again, uh, I mean, I think most everybody watching is pretty familiar with Honor Defense, uh, or at least has heard of them. Uh, go to a local gun dealer, and and you know, 
I see honor defenses all over the place. So, you know, see if you can find a local dealer that has one and uh, put your hands on it and see if it's, you know, if, if it's something you like, if it's a gun for you. Uh, I've shot them. I've shot Jacobs a number of times. I did drop it on concrete a bunch of times. <laughs> That's a long story. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a solid gun. It's a good gun. And I appreciate everything that Gary and his team does to, to make it a good gun and to build it 100% here in the United States uh, with American craftsmen hands, you know, actually touching it, working on it, the parts and everything. Uh, they're, they're great folks. And the same to uh, Lucid Optics. Jason, we, we appreciate what you're, what you're doing up there in Wyoming and the way that you are building your business. Uh, and, and yours is probably one that maybe not quite as many people are familiar with. Uh, and, and that's, Kind of in terms of our listeners, I think just to be clear. Well, I, I think yes, that's that's what I mean, and, and I think that's kind of natural. Guns get spread by wildfire, like like wildfire, very quickly. As far as a new gun hits the market, it's like shoo. Uh, optics is that part of the market that uh, probably doesn't get as much love as the guns do, because I think people just tend to be so so focused on the actual guns. But uh, folks, uh, Lucid Optics, uh, give them a look. We've got some of their stuff for sale in our sale this week at happybdayamerica.com. So, and we permanently sell most of the Lucid Optic products on consultcarry.com on yep. an ongoing basis as well. Yep, absolutely. So with that, we, we got to wrap it up and let you all go. We appreciate you again. Uh, thank you, Jason, and thank you, Gary. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it. It's been good. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. It's been good. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> So, <laughs> Way to finish it, Gary. <laughs> so with that, we're going to let you all go. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.